Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for the blessing of your Sabbath. And Lord, today as we go over the greatest story of all time, we know that it's no fable, but it's truth. And Father, we know that this story has only partially been played out. We are waiting for you to come again soon. And Father, we, you want to find the people that are ready. So Lord, today as this word is preached, we ask that you would be with me, Lord, that though I may stumble, although I may, my dictation might not be the best, Father, that you would bless the words that come forth in a way that only the Son of God can speak, that, Father, I would not be speaking, but your word would be. This we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So our, our theme for this series on the final hours of the, Christ, of the life of Jesus has been found in the book of Revelation where it is simple. We should follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Amen? Amen. And we started the first week by saying in a Seventh-day Adventist church especially that if you ever say in the pulpit of a Seventh-day Adventist church, are you ready for Jesus to come? Everybody will raise their hand and you'll get a response from that. Amen? That's true. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus. We want to follow the Lamb to heaven. And that's really true, isn't it? But then we also looked at, it isn't just follow the Lamb to heaven, but it says to follow the Lamb wherever He goes, including to heaven. But there were some other parts that Jesus walked through in His life that He has also called us to walk through as well. The Lamb went through the waters of baptism, did He not? And just like the Lamb of God went through the waters of baptism, we should follow the Lamb wherever He goes through the waters of baptism as well. Amen? Amen. Jesus had three and a half years of ministry here on earth. And just as Christ did, we should be following the Lamb and ministering to other people, should we not? Follow the Lamb wherever He goes. The Lamb of God also went through, well, His disciples deserting Him, didn't He? Are we willing to follow the Lamb when all forsake us? Last time that we met, we talked about the Lamb going through the Gethsemane experience. Are we willing to follow the Lamb through Gethsemane? As our Savior was there and He knew that His time was come, the prayer of Gethsemane was from about 9 o'clock in the evening to about midnight that night. And Jesus knew that all the forces of evil were directing their energy upon him. And he could feel the separation from his father as that sin began to pile upon his shoulders. And he knew that if it had just been him, that he would not have ever made it to Calvary. He would have died right there in Gethsemane. And he pleaded with his father. No one had to come to Jesus and say, you better spend some time with prayer before you're tested. Jesus knew that already. It was obvious to him. Are we willing to follow Jesus through deep, through deep prayer with our Father? And as soon as Jesus had finished, he looked at his disciples who had just been so zealous for dying for him, and he looks at the three in particular, and he says, could you not watch and pray for an hour? And they would not. And as Jesus went to face that mob there, and Judas was there and betrayed him with the kiss, 
As Jesus had been strengthened by the angel of God, he was able to meet that mob without any fear, but knowing that this was his purpose. And his disciples who had failed to watch and pray, who should have been, when they saw all of this taking place, they were not ready. And what did the disciples do? They fled. My friends, we are about to, ta- we are about to come at a time in earth's history today, and the time is dr- dr- drawing very close where our time of testing is upon us. Right before Jesus comes again, my friends, this earth is not going to get better, but in fact it's going to get worse, isn't it? It could be that some of us in this room today are going to be those who are put before kings, that are put before princes, that are put before mobs, that are put before justices, and explain the faith as God wants us to explain it. It may be you that does that. But could it be today that some of us just now are not going to live during that tribulation? Could it be that some of us are in that experience of testing right now? My friends, we must be on our knees in prayer just like Jesus was. But today we're not here to talk about the Gethsemane experience. We've covered that already. Today we're here to cover cover the trials and the cross of Jesus. But before we do that, I want to tell you a story. It's about a man. His name, we don't know it. We know where he was from. We know about what age he was. He was an English man. He was very young. Some say only about the age of 17 years old. This was back in the 1500s there in the old country across the pond. And as he was walking by a church, a procession of a certain religion were there. And there was a pontiff or a cardinal there. And they had a crucifix of Jesus on a pole. And as they marched through the streets of this English city, they passed by this man. Now, whenever you saw a crucifix of Jesus, you were supposed to pay homage to it. You were actually supposed to worship that crucifix. And as they passed by this Englishman, this young Englishman, he happened to be a Protestant, and the man ignored the whole thing. He saw that oracle of Jesus there, that crucifix of Christ on the cross, pass by, and he offered it no worship. He ignored the entire thing. The priest that was there was outraged and fiercely told the man to worship the crucifix. And this is what the man replied. I quote, You wretched idolaters who neglect the true God to adore a morsel of bread. Those are very pointed words to, one of the, mo- to the most powerful religion of the time. And again, he was told to worship the crucifix, and he was not. So outraged, the matter was quickly taken. The man was thrown into prison. He began to be tortured in ways that I will not say today. But he was tortured. If he would only worship this crucifix, then he could be let go, but he would not do it. In fact, the only thing that came out of his mouth were these. Look at the first and second commandment. That's all that was said. And as he was tortured there at a young age, he would not say anything he would not recant. And finally, this issue went all the way up the ladder to the Pope himself. And the orders that came back were very detailed. His sentence was soon cast upon him. And this is what the sentence was. That he should be led by the executioner 
without any clothes through the streets of Rome, that he should wear an image of the devil upon his head. Don't know why that would be. That his breeches or his pants should be painted with the representation of fire. That he should have his right hand cut off. And then after all this had been carried out, that he would be burnt at the stake. This was all done. He was led to the executioner and his right hand was cut off. He was stripped of his clothing with this image of the devil put on his head. And as he was walked through the streets of Rome, do you know what this man was doing? He was preaching the word of God. And because he was preaching the word of God, he started to ruffle up a mob inside this town. And so he was gagged so that he could not preach. Finally, he was burned at the stake there. And when he was all began to be chained up, he bent down and he kissed the chains that bound him. Once more, before the flames were kindled, the crucifix was put to his lips, but he wouldn't do it. And he died. You can find this story in Fox's Book of Martyrs, along with many, many others. But I tell that story, we, we've, we've heard stories like this before. We've heard stories of Huss and Jerome, right? We've heard stories of the Waldensians and the many others, and some not so known as the story I just told, who gave their lives for the, their beliefs. In fact, there's a church over there in Rome, even to this day, that has up on its pinnacles, you know, those big, big churches that they have there. Up on its pinnacles, they have big uh, metal uh, birdcage looking things and they're hanging there from the peaks of this church little do people know as they pass under this church that in those cages were put the remnants of Christians that gave their life for Jesus and whenever I read these stories I don't know if this has ever crossed your mind but it has mine I wonder to myself would I be ready to, would I be ready to die for my faith if I was called upon you ever asked yourself that question? If I was called to either reject Jesus or die, would I make the right decision? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? I think most, most of us have asked that question. And today we're going to be taking a look at this. But we're going to be looking at a martyrdom that wasn't just any ordinary one but one that set the world on fire and started a movement of people that is still meeting today. That's none other than Jesus Christ. We'll also be taking a look at some of the people that buckled under pressure and left truth behind. Did you know that when Jesus was tried, he was tied, he was beaten, that Jesus not underwent one trial. He didn't go through two trials, but in the time that Jesus was trialed, he was, tri he was put to trial seven times. He appeared once before Ananias, once before Caiaphas, twice before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate, then before Herod, and then back to Pilate again. Jesus was tried seven individual times before he was finally put to death. 
One of the reasons for this is whenever he went to someone, people wanted to say that he was guilty, but they knew that Jesus was not guilty simply by the way he carried himself. And as Jesus bounced back and forth, back and forth between the people that tried him, what was his attitude? Well, let's take a look here. Go, if you will, to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 59. Matthew 26, 59. It says here, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. They couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus' life, so they had to hire some false witnesses, didn't they? But found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, they found none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow, talking about Jesus, said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses say against you? But Jesus, this is so powerful here in verse 63, but Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure you by the living God, that you tell us whether you be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, You have said, Nevertheless I say to you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. There are so many things that we could take a look at here, but one thing that I have to put our, our, our mind's eye upon is this. Jesus was, in fact, probably the greatest orator of all time, wasn't he? When Jesus spoke, he could communicate with the crowd like none other. As Jesus was put there upon the stand, he could have gotten out of it with just his words. Christ could have done so many things. He could have said so many things. He could have proven that he was the Son of God. He could have worked miracles. He could have done all these things. But in fact, it says here in verse 63 that Jesus held his peace. Just like in the book of Isaiah, it says that he was as a lamb that goes to the shearer, right? Without sound, without protest, he went and he met his false accusers. I want to read you a quote here. It's from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 463. It says, the members of the church, that's us. This is a very solemn quote. I want to warn you. The members of the church will individually be tested and proved. They will be placed in circumstances where they will be forced to bear witness for the truth. Many will be called to speak before councils, courts of justice, perhaps separately and alone. I just want to pause here for a minute. When Jesus was there before the Sanhedrin, when Jesus was there before Pilate, when Jesus was there in front of Herod, Jesus stood there alone. All of his followers had deserted him. His best friends who said that they would die for him had fled and betrayed him, denied him three times. One of his own had actually paid for his death to take place. All of this was happening, and yet Jesus stood still. Just as Jesus was called to stand alone, it could be that you and I are being called to do the same. 
Remember what it said here in this quote, the members of the church, that's us, will be individually be tested and proved. As you are there, it could be you that stands before those justice systems in the last day. As you are there standing before courts and kings and princes, your pastor will not be there. Your head elder will not be there. Your husband will not be there. It could very well be that you may stand there like Jesus did alone. However, we are never really standing alone, are we? Jesus will be right there by our side, amen? The Bible promises that he will bring things to our mind of remembrance what we have past read, amen? He will bring things to our mind. He will let us remember. But my friends, in order for us to remember things, we must first learn them, amen? We can't expect Jesus to just pop stuff into our head without us learning it first. We must be diligently studying and learning today, amen? When you are called to be alone in front of these court systems without your pastor because he's probably going to be dead or in prison, how are you going to handle it? I can tell you this right now, my friends. If you truly do stand alone without Jesus Christ, you're going to fail. I'm going to fail. How do we handle it? Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 14, 12. You don't need to turn there. But Revelation 14, 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. My friends, another word there for patience is endurance. Amen? Here is the endurance of the saints. Are you willing to endure what Christ did? How? Well, let's go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 11. No, we're not going to get into all the controversy of Daniel 11 today, but there's a couple verses here that are very important for us to understand. Daniel chapter 11, verse 33, is talking about those that have given their lives for Jesus, specifically in the dark ages, but for our time as well. And notice what it says here in Daniel chapter 11, verse 33. It says, And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword, and by flame, by captivity, and by spoil many days. How did these people make sure that they were ready for the sword, that they were ready to burn at the stake, that they were ready for all of these things? The answer is in the previous verse here. Verse 32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But here it is. But the people that know their God shall be strong. Someone should say amen. My friends, today, you might not be under a trial as in the Bible is talking about right here before kings and princes. You may not be in front of all of these court systems, but you may be someday. But if you are today standing before trial, when you are looking around and your family members are looking upon you, when people are looking to you to be an example, what is the only way that you can stay strong? If you know God. My friends, that's how Jesus did it. Jesus was able to go through the trials because he was close to his Father. When we are led in those times where we must give testimony for our Lord before court systems, the only way that we can do it is if we allow Jesus to work in us. Amen. Amen. 
I want to read you one more quote here. It's from Historical Sketches, page 233. Notice what it says. This was a comfort to me. We're going to answer this question that talks about, would I be ready to be a martyr for Jesus right now? This is a powerful quote for you. It says this, God does not give us the spirit of the martyrs today. Amen? Because we have not come to the point of martyrdom. He is now testing us by smaller trials and crosses. And at times, when it seems that the billows of temptation will go over our heads, let us remember that the eye of God is watching over us, and let us be willing to endure all the trials He sees fit to send. My friends, God has not given us the spirit of martyrs today because that's not necessary. Uh, that's Historical Sketches, page 233. But God is allowing us to prepare by the small trials that we deal with from day to day. Amen? Amen? And the only way that we will get through these trials, the only way that we can stand strong, as it said in Daniel chapter 11, is if we know our God. That's what it all comes back to. Let's look at one more trial here. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 10. Matthew 27, 10, here we see Jesus standing before Pilate. And gave them for potter's field as the Lord appointed me. So here we find Judas and all of that. And then verse 10, and gave the, uh, verse 11, sorry. And Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Two simple words, thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against you? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. As these so-called religious leaders, get this for just a minute. This was the time of the Passover, wasn't it? When you read the Bible narrative, you find that the Jewish leaders, in fact, would not enter into the court system of Rome because they would be defiled and they wanted to be able to do the Passover meal. So they stayed outside so that they would be clean. But my friends, they were clean for the Passover, but they were crucifying the Son of God. Could it be today that we are so focused on these little things here and there, we're trying to do all these little details in our lives legalistically, that we are actually crucifying the Son of God with our actions? I pray that that's not me. But as Jesus was there, he said two simple words, you say. And as Pilate continued, if you read Desire of Ages, you'll find this very clearly, as well as the biblical narrative. But the more and more, more, and more that Pilate saw Jesus and experienced his presence, the more he knew that Jesus was innocent. But yet, well, look here at verse 19 and verse 23 as well, the same chapter. Matthew 27, 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, he was ready to cast judgment. His wife sent unto him, saying, Have you nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. My friends, praise the Lord for godly wives. Amen. 
We should give heed to them every once in a while, don't you think? Pilate would have been well too. Verse 23, And the governor said, Why? They, asked him to, they were asked to crucify Jesus. The governor said, Why? What evil has the man done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and all of our children. I still cringe at the mob saying that to this day. Whenever I read it, the mob was so willing to say, that's the Son of God. Let his blood be upon us and our children forevermore. But Pilate there knew that this man was innocent. Pilate had a decision to make. Pilate loved the position that he was in, and he did not want to lower his reputation for the Jews, did he? He didn't want to risk making a controversial decision. And so he looked at the Jews and said, you guys make the decision, but I wash my hands of all of it. My friends, as Pilate washed his hands of that and let the Jews make the decision, it was the same thing as if Pilate would have condemned Jesus. Let me ask you a question today. Can we wash our hands? Of Christ's death. Pilate knew the man was innocent. And he didn't want to crucify him. But yet he tried to ride the fence and take the easy way out. And as Jesus was eventually condemned and was beaten. As he was scourged as they pulled the hairs of his beard out, as they mocked the Son of God, and as they drove him up to Calvary, Pilate literally delivered Jesus to his crucifixion. There's so many things that we could talk about when dealing with the crucifixion of Jesus. We could talk about the man that bore Christ's cross for him. There's a whole sermon there. We could talk about the faces that were there that watched Jesus be crucified. His mother, the disciples, a few of them. Those that passed by and mocked him saying, if you're the son of God, get yourself down from there. We could talk about that. We could talk about the earthquake and the lightning that happened. We could talk about the cloud that covered him. We could talk about the centurion who actually believed in Jesus when all was said and done. We could talk about the gambling for Christ's garments, the nails that were in his hands and feet, the blood that was pouring from his side. But let me ask you this. This is the question. We're to follow the Lamb to heaven. We're to follow the Lamb through Gethsemane. We're to follow the Lamb through baptism. We're to follow the Lamb in selfless ministry. But let me ask you this, my friends. Are you willing to follow the Lamb to Calvary? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can be crucified for your own sins. But something has got to die within me. Jesus was not crucified on that cross so that I could continue living my life the way I am. Jesus said, blessed are the overcomers. My friends, you and I are going through a trial right now, and we are not innocent as Jesus was. 
When I look in the mirror and I look at the standard that Christ has made for me and I take a look at what God wants me to be, I find very quickly that I fall short. If I was put there before Pilate, if I was put there before the Sanhedrin, they would be able to find some dirt on me very quickly. But they couldn't on Jesus. The difference between us and Jesus was that Christ was innocent and we are guilty. My friends, you, and I'm pointing at you as well as me, but I want you to get this correct by, by, by using the word you. You deserve the cross. Your pastor deserves the cross. Paul tells us in Romans that the wages of sin is death. That is what you and I all deserve. But along came Jesus. And I know that you have probably heard this story many, many, many times. But the fact is that Jesus came and he took all of those sins from your past and he forgets them. Amen. Amen. He washes you white as snow. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, if you would. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. In order for one to realize they need salvation, we must realize that we are indeed lost. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says this, talking about following the Lamb through crucifixion. Paul puts it clearly. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Amen? That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. My friends, Jesus did not come and crucify himself so that I could live my life of sin. Jesus came and crucified himself so that I could live the life of Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to live that life that only he can live through us. And when this time of trial comes like it never has before, it may be happening now for you, it might happen in the future, but when that time of trial comes, it cannot be in us the hope of glory, but in Christ the hope of glory. Are you willing, am I willing, to let those things be crucified within me? I've probably shared this quote with you before. But it's one that I remind myself often. It says, are the things that you are living for worth Christ dying for? Are there things in your life today that Jesus has convicted you on? Spirit of Prophecy calls them the darling sins, right? The ones that we love to hold close or behind our back and stroke ever so gently. My friends, that old self has to die. Could it be that a flashing TV screen is keeping us out of heaven? That a box with some lights is more important to us than the Son of God? 
If that's the case, my friend, you've got to crucify it. Could it be that a couple men on a field throwing a ball around could be more important to us than Jesus? If that's the case, friends, you've got to crucify it. Could it be that going to work every day and putting in a hard day's good work is keeping us from time with Christ? Understand what I'm saying here. We should be working hard and doing our job. But could that take the place of Jesus? If that's the case, you've got to crucify it. Could it be that what we do in our bedrooms when no one is looking, not your spouse, could it be that that's keeping us out of heaven? You've got to crucify it. Could it be that a, a drink in a glass jar is keeping us from heaven? that is more important to us than Jesus? My friends, you've got to crucify it. Whatever it may be, we must allow Jesus to take the place of that. He's come and He suffered for us. He's taken that penalty He's going to lead us to heaven, but before we get to heaven, my friends, he must lead us through Gethsemane. Before he leads us to heaven, my friends, he must lead us through trials. Before he leads us to heaven, he must lead us to Calvary, where those sins are crucified. Are you willing to let those things die within you? I can tell you from experience that those, th those things don't die easy. But don't you want to be free? You know, a lot of people could hear the last part of this message and say, you're being very critical. You might even be a little bit legalistic, but my friends, I'm not trying to preach slavery I believe I'm preaching freedom, wouldn't you think? Because I don't just let those things die and that part of me go cold, but I leave that crutch because that's what those things are, aren't they? I leave that crutch behind, and in that hole where that thing just died, Jesus takes its place. Don't you want Jesus to have control of your life? Next week, we're going to be talking, or next time I'm here, we're going to be talking about the victory that we can have in Jesus. We kind of leave this story at a spot that is kind of without hope. Because we leave Jesus there hanging upon the cross, feeling separated from his Father. And as Jesus is pierced and he sees the people mocking him, and as that, that weight of sin is crushing the life out of him, he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me?
and then he gives up the ghost. But the story doesn't end there. When the devil saw Jesus breathe his last, he thought that victory had been won. But in fact, his doom had just been sealed. Jesus was taken from that cross and he was put in a tomb where no man had been laid. Again, according to the prophecy, there's so many little prophecies there about the life of Christ and his death and resurrection that are so detailed, it's just powerful. It's faith building. But next time we come together, we'll be looking at the victory of Jesus. Amen? Because when Jesus comes back that second time, he's not going to be coming back as a lamb. He's going to be coming back as a lion. And when Jesus comes back as a lion and there's silence in heaven for the space of about half an hour, I don't know about you, but I want to be ready. In order for us to be ready for the triumph, in order for Jesus to have triumph, Jesus had to go through the cross. In order for Jesus to come back as a lion, he first had to come as a lamb. Are we willing to follow the Lamb wherever He goes? And let him that hears say, Come. And let him that is thirsty come. And to him who will, let him take of the water of life freely. He which testifieth things saith, Surely I come quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.